Knowledge is power, and we are all about empowering the mamas of the world. In each episode, we will unravel and interpret the latest research and evidence-based practices for pregnancy, postpartum, and motherhood. As mums and researchers ourselves, we have experienced firsthand the overwhelming complexity of information, myths, and those classic old wives' tales. I'm Dr. Renee White. And I'm Dr. Mika Petrucci. And And this this is is The Science of Motherhood. Hello, everyone, and welcome to episode 19 of the podcast. I'm your co-host, Dr. Renee White, one half of the mother lover business, Fill Your Cup. My other half, Dr. Mika Petucci and best friend for life. She is still on maternity leave looking after her beautiful boy. Oh, gosh, I can't wait to get out of lockdown and see those guys again. It has been too long. We are postpartum doulas on a day-to-day basis and in our quote-unquote spare time, jokes, not really a lot of spare time, (laughs) we have this beautiful podcast where we like to use a platform to educate mamas and to-be mamas about all things pregnancy, postpartum and birth. And that is what we're going to be talking about today. I have the wonderful Sarah and Tess from My Own Birth. What is My Own Birth, you ask? Well, these girls, they're filling a gap in the market. That's what they're doing. They are registered midwives based here in Melbourne, and they have essentially developed a online program around birth education. And what I love about these girls, and you'll hear this in the interview, is that they're essentially at the coalface. They've identified gaps in the education system for women. They are seeing on a daily basis what women are coming into the hospital in labor, what they're equipped with. And I can assure you, it's not a lot. And so with that knowledge, these girls have developed private one-on-one birth classes, not group sessions, because they have identified that, spoiler alert, women are different. Oh my gosh. And so having that ability to sit down one-on-one with someone and go through what your game plan is going to be, understand the education around the hormones and how they're going to play in your birth and action plans and things that are actually going to help you in a practical sense. We even spoke about the fact that they're huge on advocacy and if a scenario arises where a midwife or an obstetrician kind of comes in and says, okay, well, we're going to induce you if X doesn't happen in X hours. They role play with you and they give you the tools to, I guess, advocate for yourself and say, okay, well, that's fine, but why are we doing this? What needs to happen for me to have another choice? Do I have other choices? And I really love that because I think we are hearing too often that women are just smiling and nodding. And as we say, going with the flow, we talk about that a lot in today's interview, going with the flow. And then later on, mamas are sitting back going, hold on a minute, I don't remember having a choice about that or that's actually not what I wanted. 
And those are the thoughts that we don't want when you're reflecting on your birth. So Tess and Sarah are just amazing, amazing ladies. As I said, their services are online and their birth classes give you an opportunity to sit down with them as well as your birthing partner and, you know, dedicate some time to really prepare for what is going to be a significant milestone in your life and you want to make it as amazing as possible. So I hope you enjoy this episode. I thought it was really, really valuable to understand. I guess I had some reflection moments as well during our discussion about my birth and particularly in COVID times when we've got a lot of mamas who are just given a link to a birthing education workshop, which can be quite outdated. And these girls will actually take the time to sit with you and discuss the most perfect birth that you can think of. So without further ado, here is Tess and Sarah. Hello and welcome to the podcast, co-founders Sarah and Tess from My Own Birth. How are you girls? Thanks for having us. Pleasure, pleasure. So you girls are, you're in the same uh, boat as I am at the moment, Melbourne lockdown. Yes. How is that going? So, so you girls are both registered midwives. What is, what's the vibe on the floor in those hospitals at the moment? Uh, We both, yeah, so both working in mainly birth suite at the moment. So we're on really the front line of the whole COVID restrictions constantly changing and I even said to Sarah yesterday it was just bizarre like you're looking after someone and then within 10 minutes someone comes in and says oh restrictions have changed you need to change your mask to wear this mask and you know they can only have this many people and it literally happens like that within a couple of minutes we're flipping back to like the strict restrictions again um, when we feel like we've just eased them so yeah yeah. come back and it's good okay now we're doing this so I think um yeah but really, yeah, you, I think we just really feel for the, the women who are expecting babies at the moment and it breaks our heart having to tell them and having to, you know, go by restrictions for the hospitals that we do work in, unfortunately. Yeah, um, my goodness. So let's go back to the beginning. How how did you guys get into midwifery? Who wants to go first? Do you want me to take this one? Yeah, go for it, Tess. <laughs> okay, so Sarah and I met when we first started our nursing and midwifery course. So that was back in 2015, mm-hmm. which feels like a year Forever ago. ago. Yeah. Oh, no, like no, really recent, huh? It feels like recent. <laughs> like I can't believe we've done this much since then. But, yeah, we met in 2015 having kind of no clue what midwifery really was or even what it had the potential to be like as a career and, and absolutely weren't picturing having a business together at that stage. We mm-hmm. were just kind of starting off pretty naively. So I know for me, I didn't really start midwifery with this like lifelong dream or yearning that I was always going to be a midwife, which I think some people say, like I always knew that I would do this, but for me, I, I didn't, to be honest. But then once I'd started it and I guess seen birth for the first time, I then started to realise how amazing it could be. So I guess from there, that's kind of where the passion, yeah, started for me. Yeah. And what about you, Sarah? 
yeah, I think it's hard. I think a lot of people starting midwifery don't know what midwifery is. Starting to study midwifery don't really know what midwifery is. You, you know, mm. cuddling babies, but you can go a while without properly cuddling a baby, really. Mm. But, um, no, initially I wanted to be a chef and I was sort of on that <laughs> pathway and then realised how much I hated it and kind of went the opposite was like, okay, what's the workplace that's like female-based? I wanted to do like a woman-based career, be around women, look after women and had done some nannying, so it all kind of felt like this overlap and yeah just was lucky to find that passion and mm-hmm. what was that first birth like that you guys got to participate in were you just like what was what were the feelings going mm-hmm. through your mind i was really lucky with the first birth that i saw it was i remember it clearly i could tell you every feature of that woman's face to a T like I just remember it so well yeah but it was I think a second time mum and she had this normal physiological natural birth Mm -hmm. and she was standing up and I just remember watching that baby crown and that baby's head come out and then that like adrenaline that I got and the woman got from the birth and everything was so beautiful normal undisturbed and like for me that was a moment of oh my god I'm definitely doing this yeah this is amazing but I guess looking back I was so lucky that that was my first experience Mm -hmm. now knowing that that isn't the reality for a lot of births unfortunately and there's so much more to it so I guess yeah it was an amazing experience that then in the years following I saw lots of other births that probably hit me in a different way yeah and were some of those experiences, I guess, the catalyst for creating my own birth? What what was that what was that point and when did it happen? Was it something that was progressive or you were just like, Okay, hold on a minute. So, like there's a missing piece to this puzzle? Yeah, so a bit of both probably. So Tess and I, luckily, we actually lived near each other when we studied. We didn't know each other before and so we carpooled for four years which is a long time to spend with a person. Yeah, (laughs) that's where the good ideas come, I find. definitely. And I felt like looking back, they were just, you know, 45-minute-at-a-time brainstorms. Yeah. Um, You know, debriefs and brainstorms, really. I've just, yeah, we obviously had this passion for midwifery, but we're already seeing these gaps in the hospital system or parts where we just go, how is this this what it is? Like, Mm -hmm. surely this isn't 100% quite right while still learning as well is kind of a tricky place to be where you want to jump in and make change but you're not quiet at that point that you can Mm. so we were kind of you know there were lots of things that we thought maybe we'll do this we could do this and we sort of landed at the point of trying to get to them before they're at the point of actually giving birth and then understanding the importance of yeah that actual education and building up that confidence in women before they get there we can't be with every single woman at their birth Mm. so let's try and you know, divide and conquer and get them beforehand. I love that because I can definitely attest to, I guess, the reality of I was, you know, engaged a private hospital for my birth, a private OB. I put all my eggs in one basket thinking, you know, that I was going to get the top level of care and education and that I would be walking into a like you know my labor and and birthing um, process fully equipped 
And, you know, the reality was that I remember walking out of that, you know, I think it was like a two-hour workshop on labour and I was just like, what the hell was that? (laughs) You know, like I was just like, uh, am I like – I'm just – I was like rattled by it because I'm thinking I didn't really learn anything. I don't – I didn't walk out with a sense of I've got this, you know. Like, you know, if I went into labour right now, I would know exactly what to do. I would know exactly what's coming and all the different scenarios. And it's really interesting because Mika, she did an external birthing class from a third party I'm not 100% sure it might have been like a hypnobirthing or a calm birth or something like that and listeners will know from her episode from her birth story which I think is episode two that she definitely had the sense of I've got this and even her partner did you know Mm -hmm. like they both walked out and they were like oh yeah piece of cake I did not get that at all and yeah. I just feel like I felt like the information was somewhat outdated and it wasn't specific to each one of our needs and it's very difficult to do that obviously in a group situation yeah. so in ter- so in terms of my own birth like what were the gaps that you saw like the specific things that you saw during your career that you were like right this is how we're going to craft our, you know, birthing education program. Yeah, I think exactly what you've sort of highlighted. Um, We, from the get-go, we we didn't want to do group, um, which, look, is probably a poor business decision because you can, you know, book several people at once and that's great. Yeah, But it's really hard to get into the nitty-gritty of one person's potential fears and anxieties around birth or what are they bringing to that birth room that they might have been told their own birth story as a child, mm-hmm. um, you know, or talking to them about their, their breast shape and nipple shape when it goes into breastfeeding. Like, you don't, you can't, you can't yes. in the same way. Mm. Um, Can I, sorry to interrupt, Sarah, but that is a very, very good point because I did a breastfeeding workshop and I, like the whole, even my partner was like, do you know what? They probably actually just should have just shown us what a breastfeeding woman looked like in front of us. And, like, yeah. I would just imagine that that would be quite daunting for some people. But we didn't get anything like that. Yeah, yeah. So I suppose the things we felt were missing that we wanted to make sure we were included were, yeah, that that personal one-on-one um, element. Um, and, two, a lot of what you're saying, some of it was outdated. We mm. wanted to make sure what, what we're teaching was based on the latest research. You know, we know there's a huge gap like over a decade between some research and then it being implemented into policies in a hospital. Yeah. So we don't want to, we're not teaching hospital policies. I'm not really interested in hospital policies for this woman because I don't know necessarily where she's birthing, mm-hmm. but it really shouldn't be important, I suppose. It should be the latest research isn't based on hospitals. Yeah. We felt like it was unfair that if the same woman would have, if she would go to different hospitals within the same area in Melbourne, even mm. she would have a very different birth experience mm-hmm. just because they've got different policies. Mm. Yeah, it was the evidence, it was the one on one, and also the inclusion of a postnatal element. So, the entire like the last third of the class is just all about you've had the baby now, what for both yourself, your partner, and your baby, trying to touch base with all of them. What can we expect? What you might not expect. 
what's normal, what's not normal, what are you worried about, how can we prepare for if things aren't what you expect them to be. Hmm. 100%. There were certainly things that in those first few days that I was like, no one told me about that. Like hmm. something as simple as the um, uh, my husband was changing Eva's nappy, I think it was like day three, and he's like, oh, my God, there's blood. And I was like, oh, my God, what do you what do you mean there's blood? And he was like, there's blood in the nappy. Call the nurse, get the nurse. And I was just like, you know, I was just like, hit the button, hit the button. <laughs> and she comes in and she's like, oh, that's really normal. And I was like, uh-huh, I didn't get that memo, right? That would have been really useful before I started hitting, like, the code blue button. <laughs> Yeah, 100%. Just yeah. little things like that. You know, you yeah. don't know that as a first-time mum. And it's mm. it's it's crazy. Like, like, I really wish that they would stop teaching women how to wrap their baby like a burrito, <laughs> okay? Because newsflash, it's called like a love to dream or an ergo pouch and it's a zip. Like in the <laughs> middle of the night – you are like if someone oh you got to fold it and then you got to go under oh my god it did my head in it actually caused severe anxiety for yeah. me because i was like she's asleep and you're telling me to like do yeah. this like extravagant mexican burrito wrap and yes. just like it's yes, not no even <laughs> it's just it just wasn't in my um i actually here we go here's here's a here's a spoiler alert i actually got told off by a midwife for putting her in a love to dream in the hospital. She was furious. Get that stupid thing off her. And I was like, oh, wow, okay. (laughs) Talk about trigger alert. Um, Because I I was like, oh, okay, sorry, I've just taken a job out of your hands because now she doesn't have to teach me how to burrito wrap. Yeah, I've got yeah, I've I've got a zippy here for you. Yeah. Oh yeah. man! You see second time mums come in with them, and they're like, "Why didn't I have this first time round?" Yes, <laughs> that is exactly right. And I just found like it was a bit of an ironic comment because I rem- I recall them in the one of the you know the birthing workshop things that I did, and they're like, now. Make sure that all the onesies have got zips because you're not going to be, you know, wanting to fuss around with that. Don't get the ones with the buttons. Yet mm. in the next birth, they were like, and this is how we burrito wrap your baby. And I was just like, <laughs> what? That doesn't make sense to me. Why can't I just do the double zip, like double denim, yeah. double zip? Yeah, it be easy, but not too easy. Oh, yeah. exactly. We want, we still want to have um, work to be to be done you here. You need us. <laughs> <laughs> what you're saying Renee as well like just touching on that like immediate postpartum kind of anxiety I find that that hits women the most like especially in the hospital yeah every night shift you do on postnatal you have probably three out of your six patients are crying to you yeah because their baby's cluster feeding and no one told them that they weren't going to get any sleep that night and that this is normal and this is how you deal with it And so they just get hit in the face with like this hormone change and a baby that's screaming and not attaching and they don't know what to do and they think something's wrong. And I think it's also that, as you said, with that midwife, there are still, you know, midwives like that who come in and say, this is how you wrap a baby or you feed a baby every three hours 
that's just how it is. So women just expect that that's how things will work out for them and that's exactly what a baby does, but they're not really, I guess, open or ready or they don't have the tools to adapt to all the different scenarios that can happen. Yeah, 100%. And I think that's where a lot of women kind of fall off the the rails a little bit because yeah. no one's actually, I guess, not warned them, like that's a, a bad way of putting it, but prepared them for the reality. You know, you're not going to sleep for the first few weeks, probably not for the first few months, but that's okay and this is how you cope with it. 100%. And I can say that, you know, as a postpartum doula, those first those first few days of, of my clients being in hospital, I'm in contact with them all the time and they're constantly messaging going, is this normal? Is this normal? Is this normal? Mm-hmm. And I just, I wish there were more women who, and I don't know whether, I don't think it's because they've chosen not to. I think they're in a very similar basket to me. You put your trust in the system and you yeah have an expectation, whether it be private or public, you know, mm. it's a, it is Australia at the end of the day. We're a first mm. world country that, that, that those classes and the system would be able to prepare you for what is about to happen. And so interestingly, I was talking to another fellow um, postpartum doula and just talking about, you know, we're always like you guys debriefing with one another because I think that's a really important thing to do as you said you're bearing you know a lot of emotional and mental kind of load from your Mm. patients and so it's really lovely to connect again and kind of talk about those things and we were we were talking about the conversations that we have with our mamas in the prenatal sessions that we do and I said what are some of the things that you were just like, we have to like get this across to the, to the mums. And she said, I tell them that if you are going to invest in anything, it is an external birthing workshop. Don't Mm. like go to the hospital one if it's free, but don't, because exactly like what you were saying, Sarah, it's mostly around policy. Like this is how we do it here and you will abide by X, Y, Z, and all yes. the rest of it. But I don't think a lot of mums understand the freedoms and liberties and rights that they have going yes. into the birthing process and also what it's going to be like and the contingency plans and also being able to say no or yeah. questioning questioning yeah. why they've made that decision. You know, mm. let's talk about the, that. Let's talk about why you've just said to me, if nothing progresses, we're going to book you in for a Caesar. Or, you know, you're still pregnant, you haven't gone into labour. Or if you're not, if you if you haven't had the baby by X date, we're going to induce you. Everyone, well, not everyone, that's, that's not true, but a lot of women just go, yep, okay, you know best because you're an authoritative figure and yes. I'm just going to go with it and I've put my trust into you. But, yeah, a lot of a lot of my clients are just like, oh, I didn't realise I could question them or I didn't mm. realise that I had yeah. a say. And yeah. it's our bodies. We can do yeah. what we want to do, yeah, right? Absolutely. Yeah. I think that's, I mean, we definitely saw that when we 
through our hospital work, we're doing, you know, antenatal appointments in clinic, which are all of 10 to 15 minutes long. Oh, um, God. And you get a second time mum come and I'm always like, okay, tell me about your first birth. And they're telling it to me and it's like, okay, uh, it doesn't quite add up. That's not really making sense. Their understanding of it is not complete. Mm-hmm. Or they go, this happened, but I didn't know it happened till afterwards. I didn't know I could. Yes. It's, I think it's awful. Like a huge thing might have happened to your body. If I had a dollar for every time yeah. a woman said that to me. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. We wouldn't have to work anymore, which is unfortunate. Yeah. <laughs> but, um, yeah, definitely. And, you know, I always say to people I'm teaching, when you get home with your baby, I would love that you both feel really proud of yourselves. And, yeah, it might have been really hard. We call it labour for a reason, but mm-hmm. you're prepared and you, and you felt like really active participants and really mm-hmm. amazed by what you've achieved, regardless mm-hmm. of how what that pathway takes. I don't mm-hmm. want you to come home and go, what just happened to us? And mm-hmm. feel a bit lost in a shell of yourselves. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Participating in, and the way you do that is by knowing that you have rights and knowing how to have those conversations, which is exactly why, you know, yeah, we have a big focus on even as we're going through and not just talking about it once of, yes, these are your rights and these are the questions to ask, but, okay, this scenario arises, how might we have that conversation? It might not change the outcome, but it might change your understanding of it and how you feel about it. I love Mm -hmm. that. Getting, like, actually, like, almost like a role-play scenario because – and do you get the partners involved as well? Because I would – well, not imagine, I know that, you know, when you're in the thick of it, you just don't have any words. I mean, I, Mm -hmm. I, so I actually had an elective cesarean because my brain completely spiraled when I was on mat leave and I was like, okay, I can't do this. And part of the reason for that was that I just didn't feel prepared. I was like, I don't know how to do this. I, Mm -hmm. you know, I'm a researcher by trade and so I thought I had done enough research. I thought I had the skills and I thought I'd invested my time and money appropriately. And yeah. when push came to shove, I was like, oh, nah, sorry, I got nothing. <laughs> you know, like <laughs> my brain's about to explode. But but That's the sorry. fact yeah. the fact was that I because it was my decision, I mm. made the decision to have the cesarean. And so I felt very empowered by that. And so I set the scene. I was like, this is what I want. This is what I don't want. Um, and it was great. That's what I loved. But we, one of the, I guess, discussion points that I had with my husband at the time, because he said, you, like, you're going down quickly and I'm not sure that if you go into labour, I'm going to be able to pull you back to where you need to be to focus to be able to do this like to have a vaginal birth and I I totally agreed I was like yeah I just don't think we're gonna be in that space so involving the partner in those discussions are they I'm assuming that they're part of the workshops yeah absolutely so I'd say yeah 95 percent or more um, of our classes is the woman and her birth partner And I just would say as well, the feedback that you get, like sometimes during the class, particularly with male partners, you kind of look at them sometimes and think, are you listening? Are you you kind of hearing what I'm saying? Um, And I think 
they just learn differently. Some of them give you that immediate feedback that they're really interested and they're, you know, loving it. And others are kind of sitting there on the side because it's all just such new information. Oh, yeah. But then the feedback you get afterwards when women tell us their birth story, I always hear, you know, he was amazing. He actually was the one that advocated for me to have more time or to not do this and reminded me of all the things we've learned. Um, so I think it's amazing what they do absorb and it all comes up yeah. on the day under pressure. I feel like um, some guys are just quiet achievers sometimes, <laughs> although my husband was quite funny in all the birthing classes. He's very into statistics and he was asking some pretty hard-hitting questions to the hospital personnel. I actually felt sorry for them. In the end, I was just like, stop asking questions. Like, this is getting embarrassing. <laughs> I wanted to ask you girls, so in your day-to-day practice in the hospital, you know, we're talking about obviously the want and desire to educate every woman before she walks in those doors. Was there or could you pick like a situation where you were just like, gosh, I wish this mama had come to one of our classes because we teach this exact scenario or is there something like real life that you could give us? Obviously, you know, there's no names or anything like that, but <laughs> could you pick a scenario or, or something that kind of pops up quite frequently oh. where, you know, the listeners could, you know, you put that in their toolkit? Yeah, I think for me, um, this is just a common scenario, not a specific person, Yeah, um, but it's the early labour preparation and the way they cope with the length of early labour as a first-time mum And we spend a lot of time in the classes talking about why it's important to stay at home. We go through oxytocin, endorphins, how to balance those. We talk about the increased risk of intervention if you're admitted to hospital when you're at a certain point in Mm -hmm. labour. And it's tricky when you're in the hospital setting as a midwife and you don't have control over that person Mm -hmm. in early labour because you see them when they rock up at one or two centimetres totally losing their mind because no one taught them how to cope um, and no one prepared them for this Mm -hmm. and it's too late. Um, So that's probably the point where I see them and go, I wish you had done a class, whether it's our class or someone else's, I don't really care, but I just wish you'd done a class where someone told you get in the bath, get in the shower, have you thought about a TENS machine, Mm. go for a walk, watch a movie. Like no one gave you this advice so you didn't know any better and now you're just here in the hospital and, you know, now we're kind of on the clock, I guess. Yeah, yeah, yeah. What about you, Sarah, anything? Yeah, it's every time, which, yeah, it, it ebbs and flows how often this happens when you're the midwife allocated to start an induction and you really feel like that woman doesn't need to be induced. Mm. And you are way too late to the game because you tell a woman, I'm concerned your baby needs to be born. And then it's not fair on them to have another person come in and say, no, it doesn't. Like you, you're too late. They've got it in their head. They've been told their baby needs to be born for yeah. whatever reason. Yeah. And then you go, so you're trying to fit really which I'm trying to fit all the education I'd love to have told them 10 weeks ago into this hour period before you know we start do you understand why this is happening what are your options throughout what's your plan for throughout but obviously not overwhelming them and even now you know us having to wear masks in the hospital you get so puffed going through yeah in between yeah just the 
the kind of deer in headlights look that a lot of them have when they start and and you feel like they already don't have that trust in their body because at some point they've been told they're high risk so they're already scared of the process or that you know just the language that's been told to them your placenta is failing you well how can a part of my body be failing my baby that's awful get it out yeah Um, and that if you're going into your birth with that headspace that's that's really hard. How are you mm. going to promote all these nice hormones that we want to be happening in this trust in your body in this process yep. if you think you are already failing before you started? Hmm. Yeah, yeah, that's a I really, totally agree. really good point. I, I think as well at the start, sorry, I was just going to no, say no. an induction, which like I'm only speaking for myself, but unfortunately I'd probably look after more women at the start of an induction than women in spontaneous labour, which is just yeah the way the hospital works and I work in a low-risk hospital so but it's at that point where you say things like what's your plan and you hear every time I'll just go with the flow and you know that that doesn't cut it and that's my pet peeve is people saying or people giving advice to first-time mums you've just got to go with the flow you know you don't know what's going to happen you can't control it just see what happens on the day Mm -hmm. that doesn't work when you're having a baby and it doesn't work when you're being induced you have to prepare and there's so many things like we talk about in the class if you're induced this is how you prepare for a positive induction um we're not sitting there saying never be induced because that's the reality is that's not going to happen so we talk about that and we say yeah it is really different from spontaneous labor this is what you do but as sarah was saying it's unfortunately too late when it's you know 7 30 in the morning and the hormone drips starting at eight o'clock you you can't change a woman's mindset that quickly Mm, god that really Oh, I I didn't obviously have an induction, but I've had and looked after quite a few mums who have, and the majority of them were first time mums. And I can definitely attest to what you've just said. They don't know. They just think it's part and parcel. They're like, oh, okay, this is just, you know, what I'm supposed to be doing. And 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 in fact, this is their version of going with the flow. You know, it's like, okay, well, this is just the pathway I'm going down. And interestingly, we just released the latest episode with Professor Hannah Darlin around that paper that she published in May looking at the effects of, um, you know, induction in low-risk pregnancies and, you know, it's not fun and games, people. No, <laughs> you know, great, great episode, by the way. I really oh, thank you. <laughs> she was, she was, she was a pearl. I loved her. <laughs> oh man. Okay, so let's move on to what you think the most underrated topic is in terms of education, whether it be pregnancy, birth or postpartum? Is it something where you're just like, oh, man, like this is the number one. People just don't hear this enough. This actually, when I was thinking about this sort of question and pregnancy, birth, postpartum, I feel like I'd have to go through each separately. There's okay. Not I'm not restricting you. You go for it. <laughs> for pregnancy, I think the most underrated topic is understanding your own hormones, Mm -hmm. understanding how natural oxytocin differs from a synthetic drug that we've made and the effects of that on everything. Like natural oxytocin to give you natural endorphins 
how does that affect, of course, your labour, that's one thing, Mm -hmm. but how does that affect breastfeeding and the initiation of breastfeeding? How does it affect your recovery? So many cascading effects from that. So just, yeah, understanding hormones, understanding how adrenaline and oxytocin work against each other, Mm -hmm. that really sets women up for a more hopefully positive birth experience. Correct me if I'm wrong, but because I there was a point where I was looking into this. So with natural oxytocin, it's more of a it does like a is it gradual? It just spikes, doesn't it? Yeah, so natural oxytocin is released in impulses mm, in that's the brain. Right. Yeah, um, and it's also regulated obviously by your own body and brain. So yeah. you get the natural build up of pain I, I'll say pain but you know intensity I guess of yep. labor yeah you get the natural buildup of that yeah with your own body regulating it and the reason it comes in impulses is because you can't just go from feeling nothing to all of a sudden having this 10 out of 10 intensity mm-hmm. you have to have a natural buildup to tolerate that and your body will release endorphins to help you tolerate that and give you that feel-good sensation as well whereas when we have synthetic oxytocin it's a continuous drip physically continuous into your vein yeah and your body doesn't get a chance to say stop or start or let's you know slow it down because baby needs a break or let's increase it now because you've got the tolerance none of that happens it's just like straight up the mountain man that's rough Oh, okay. So what about, what about birth? What's the most underrated topic that you think? I think for birth, it would be what birth actually looks like, I guess, not comparing it to a movie. So everyone sees what woman she just pushes once or twice and it's done. Yeah. Water's <laughs> break, ambulance comes, heads out. But yeah, women lying on their back on a bed with their legs in stirrups. Oh, um, and I can't stand that. Yeah. The positioning that you can do in birth. And when I say to people in a class that they get so surprised, especially their partners are looking at me like, what are you talking about? When I say you can birth in the shower, you can birth on the ground on all fours. You can do what you can do a handstand and I don't care. Like you can birth in any position you want. Um, you don't have to be on the bed. And it's like this light bulb moment of, oh, okay, like that sounds much more appealing. Mm. So I think, yeah, understanding that the position you're in will definitely affect the ease of birth and the way your baby's moving through the birth and even, yeah, your risks of tearing and things like that, which often women don't get told. Yeah, I say let gravity help you. Like, (laughs) yeah. And follow your instincts. Like if you watch women follow their instincts, they get onto all fours without you even telling them. Yes, exactly. We are smart. We just need to be given the space to to do what we need to do. Mm. Awesome. And postpartum, I'm very interested to know your postpartum one. Oh, tricky one. I think, again, it would be the influence that the type of birth you've had and the way you felt about your birth, the influence that that will then have on your breastfeeding. And again, hormones, it sounds like I'm obsessed with hormones, but like. (laughs) That's what makes it, makes it all happen, right? Yeah. Prolactin makes breast milk and that works perfectly with natural oxytocin. 
So just understanding that it is a cascade, it doesn't just end at, you know, the birth. If you've had that natural oxytocin, your body now knows, okay, you've had a baby now, I need to release prolactin. Mm -hmm. Your breast milk production is going to come on a little bit faster and a little bit easier. Your baby will probably know how to attach and instinctively attach because they chose when they were born and they prepared themselves for that moment as well. Mm. And I think, as I sort of touched on earlier, women knowing how difficult breastfeeding is. Oh, yeah. It's not easy, like labour and birth. It's not easy. It's really challenging for most people. But that's okay. Just because it's challenging, it doesn't mean that you can't do it. And Sarah and I were even saying the other day when we talk about breastfeeding and we ask women, are you planning to breastfeed? And all of them say, yeah, I guess if I can. And that's always really interesting to go, so why are you saying that? Like yeah. who's influenced you to say that? Why are you already doubting it? I think it's I think it's the mentality of like going with the flow, as you say again. But I interviewed um, Dr. Pamela Douglas from the Possums program, and I think she quoted saying that like ninety odd percent of women going into postpartum want to breastfeed. But I think it's like at the and you know I'm gonna have to fact check this, but. I think it's like the 16-week mark, only 34% are exclusively breastfeeding. And I remember asking her, why do you think that is? And her answer was because the system has failed these women. It's got nothing to do with them. It is everything to do with the system because we just don't prep our mums enough, as you were saying. Like, it is hard. It is a natural phenomenon, but it does not come naturally to all Mm. women. It is a very, very challenging process to have. Just on that point, because I love your obsession with hormones because I'm equally (laughs) as obsessed being a biochemist by trade as well. (laughs) Question, and I don't even know this, and it's about me, when I had the elective caesarean, did I get hit with a shot of ox- of synthetic oxytocin? Yeah. Okay. Yes. All right. That's interesting. Yeah. So I guess with a cesarean, it's it's different. The main part of having a cesarean and how that kind of affects the breast milk mm. is the way the placenta is born. So I guess if a placenta is born vaginally or separated from natural oxytocin, the placenta's holding all the progesterone that has kept you pregnant the whole time. Mm-hmm. So when your body releases the progesterone, it gets the message, oh, I'm not pregnant anymore. Gotcha. Okay, I need to make milk. So sometimes we see in cesarean birth, you still, you know, make milk, you still breastfeed, but there's a little bit of a delay yep. where your body's kind of playing catch up. Yeah. Where did the placenta go? When did it come out? Yeah. Um, <laughs> It's yeah. like, hold on a minute. What, what's going on? Yeah, yeah. What, 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 what is happening here? Yeah, exactly. Gotcha. Yeah, it did take, uh, I think, uh, I think my milk came in on like night, or oh, night three was just the pits. <laughs> I was like, I'm not joking. I actually, like Eva was crying. Uh, like at this stage, I didn't realize that I needed a nipple shield. Like I really needed a nipple shield. Um, no one had identified that as as yet and she was just so miserable and you know it's the cluster feeding night it's the party night as I refer to now and I actually physically gave her back to um, my husband Grayson and I just said that's it I don't want to do this anymore I'm done like get me off get me off this carousel of crying because I can't do this anymore and like 
you know, the the wave of hormones. I just felt so sick and I was just hysterical, you know, 2.30 in the morning and he was like, okay, I think it's time that we call the nurse now, yeah. <laughs> um, you know, and yeah, off she came in to kind of, and she was the one who was like, has anyone spoken to you about a nipple shield? And I was like, what is that? What is that? And she was like, just, did you want to try this? And then I'm naturally quite large in the um, chest area. I'm like officially part of the big titty committee. Um, And so I was just like, surely these girls have got something in them. And as soon as she did the nipple shield thing, we were off and racing. But, yeah, it's just crazy. Like the breastfeeding thing is so hard. And we speak about that in in the class. Like breastfeeding is a tricky one to prepare someone for because you don't quite know I guess what challenges they're going to have you don't know how big their baby's going to be <laughs> you don't know um yeah how much milk or yeah you don't really know those factors but we do talk about the shape of their nipple and do you think you have flat nipples do you think you have an inverted nipple and I've had women say oh yeah actually my left side is completely inverted I didn't even think about would that affect breastfeeding? So then I've prepared them. Mm-hmm. That flat side's going to be really difficult to latch. So this is what you're going to do. You're going to hand express when you're not attaching the baby. You're going to see the lactation consultant in the hospital. Mm-hmm. You can troubleshoot this rather than it getting to the point where they go to latch the baby and they go, oh. Why is this I not working? Yeah. yeah. Do you guys do, do you teach any like antenatal expressing beforehand? Because I, I think that that would have been something quite useful for for me, I think I touched on this earlier with the breastfeeding workshop. You know, we were <laughs> we were shown some movie from like the nineteen eighties of like some woman breastfeeding, and I was like, I can't even see what is going on over there. But just like get nude, get like have a look at your boobs, girls, before you start this process, because you're going to become best friends um, in the hospital and thereafter. And I think a lot of women just don't even take that time to become accustomed with what their body as you're saying oh yeah my left my left nipple is inverted you know maybe Mm. I should game plan for that Mm. yeah we have a couple um sort of pages in the resource book that they get about antenatal expressing and we yeah absolutely cover that with them um ideally before they're at that point where they're allowed to antenatal express um, so then they can, you know, touch base with their healthcare provider, get, you know, check that they're all good to antenatally express and just all the benefits of it. It's not just, um, I think in the hospital system, sometimes that's only targeted at women who have diabetes or gestational diabetes. Yes. Rather than the benefits for all women and going, it's okay if you don't get anything, that's completely fine. Mm-hmm. Still become familiar with your breasts. Like you're saying, if you can go into this experience already knowing how to hand express, amazing. Yeah. Or if you can go in with just a small amount of colostrum, incredible. These are all the things that we can use it for. Obviously, never throw it away. Mm. But, you know, that night two, that night three, that might become really helpful. Or, mm. you know, we know some babies are really sleepy the first day or two. That's completely normal. I'm expecting that. They're tired as well. Let's keep their bellies full with this. You're still figuring out this whole thing and recovering from a birth. It's just that extra little bonus. But, yeah, like you say, just become familiar with your breasts in that way, which you never will have before. Mm. Mm. All right, girls, we're going to finish up with a bit of a rapid fire. 
and tell oh. me. <laughs> <laughs> the first one's a bit of a, a bit of a hard hitting question. So tell me if you want to pass on this. But I would love to know, um, in your opinion, why do you think a standard hospital provided kind of birth workshop just doesn't cut it? What's what's unique about my own birth? Hmm. I actually was thinking about what Sarah said earlier about how one woman birthing in the same state, the same city, can have a different birth outcome depending on where her catchment hospital is. Mm-hmm. So, for an example, like a woman with a breech baby, one hospital policy says that she has to have a cesarean. And if she does a hospital class through that hospital, she will be told if your baby's breached by this time, you'll be booked in for an elective cesarean. Mm-hmm she won't be told the research on that or the yeah decision making behind that that's just how it is and as we were saying earlier most women would just go okay like mm-hmm. that's what I do if she's booked at the next hospital she'll get told yeah you've got an option for a vaginal breech birth and this is how it would work and this is who we get you to see and I just that blows my mind that you know depending on which hospital class you do you get told that this is how something works so i guess we talk about that as an example we'll say breech babies we say you know this is how you can help to turn your baby this is the positions you can use and if that doesn't work maybe you look at seeing another healthcare provider who will give you the options that you want mm. it's a hospital policy it's not law so it's i think it's just telling them that they have the options and this is how to, I guess, access them if they're not given that opportunity in a hospital. Yeah, 100%. Preach that. Oh, my God. Women, we have options. It is 2021. Like, (laughs) if you've got an option as to how you want to order your steak to be cooked, you have definitely got an option as to how you want to birth your baby, okay? I'll give you the tip on that. Oh, my God. Did you want to add anything to that, Sarah? Yeah, I think it's a, it's the same thing, but just in summary, I feel, and yeah, maybe some people won't like this, but I just think that hospital classes teach compliance and the easiest patients, this is awful, I don't agree with it, but the easiest patients in a hospital system are compliant ones mm-hmm. rather than the ones that will stand up and take control of their, their birthing outcomes and their, their birthing experience. So, yeah, I, I want more women to know that, yeah, like exactly what you're saying, you've got options, but you might not find them out at a, at a hospital class. Mm-hmm. 100%. Love it. Mm-hmm. What What is your top tip for birthing mothers? Um, I think it is to not have the attitude that ignorance is bliss and go with the flow, scrap that whole thing. It doesn't apply. So read books, listen to podcasts do classes, do everything you can to get yourself all the information so then you can actually take responsibility for your pregnancy and your body and your birth and not put that responsibility in the hands of someone that you don't actually know. I think mine would be figure out what boosts your own oxytocin because it's not going to be the same for every woman. Mm -hmm. Um, But really think about it before you need it. You know, is it watching The Office or certain music or, you know, do you want to be pumped up? Do you want your partner to make you laugh? Whatever it is, figure it out and then just keep using it. Mm. Yeah, I love that. What's your go-to resource apart from your own workshops, of (laughs) course, obviously, but what would be, do you have like a favourite book or like, as you are saying, do you have a favourite like birthing podcast or something like that? 
that you recommend? There's so many out there and there are so many amazing resources out there besides Google. (laughs) (laughs) So podcasts, everyone's heard of Australian birth stories. I think it's an amazing resource if you're just wanting to get little bits of information from women who have got real lived experiences. But I would also say pick and choose which ones you listen to in the lead up to your birth. Yeah, not taking on too much sort of turmoil that maybe you don't need to. So positive birth stories, but just evidence-based information. Like I've just finished reading Gentle Birth, Gentle Mothering, Mm -hmm. which is amazing. It's like evidence-based factual information. It takes you through everything that you'll encounter, a gestational diabetes test, a GBS swab, and it takes you through the research behind it and what you can do naturally to, I guess, prepare your body for that or naturally remedy things. Like women don't get taught that mm. in a hospital. Who wrote that book? I think it's Sarah Buckley. Oh, okay. Yeah, cool. I love yeah, it. Sarah J. Buckley. Yeah. Love it. And what's yours, Sarah? Um, mine, is, I mean, it's fresh in my mind because I just finished reading it, is Sophie Messages book i've got it here because i forget the name yeah why postnatal recovery matters i really loved that i think that you know like our training was very probably labor and birth focused Mm -hmm. Um, and then just like finding that passion here the afterwards it lasts longer than the birth and the labor process yes Um, so yeah i really love that i'd encourage more women to yeah think about their their postnatal experience as as well as their birth experience and also the link between them but yeah the afterwards and I really yeah I really enjoyed that book I'd encourage all women to read that it's so true though because it's like you know that what's that saying you know if you're just preparing for the wedding but not the marriage then it's you know it's akin to that if you're just preparing mm-hmm. for the birth and some people don't even prepare for the birth they just prepare the nursery and how many onesies yeah. do they have forget the wall decals ladies <laughs> <laughs> like you're gonna have bigger yeah. <laughs> bigger you're fish to fry nursery anyway your baby's probably not gonna be in there for oh man months, so. <laughs> I've got like a horror story around that so we had moved when I was 32 weeks pregnant whole new suburb. That's what you do, right? That's what you do when yeah. you're 32 weeks Everyone yeah, does that. Completely yeah, moving. Yeah, you move. And I was so hell-bent on getting this cot, you know, built. And obviously I couldn't do it. I was, like, huge. And I was hassling Grayson. And I was like, hurry up. Can you just do it? And he's like, what is the hurry on it? Like, seriously, it's going to be okay. And I was like, no, Everything has to be done. Everything has to be perfect. Spoiler alert, she did not go in that cot for six months. So effectively I had another seven months up my sleeve to actually get it done because she was just in the bassinet or we were co-sleeping. And I was just like, yeah, that was a waste of absolute time. And anxiety was more the issue because I thought everything had to be perfect and I had no clue about meal prepping or anything to do with postnatal I was a complete space cadet which is why I'm here where I am now so um yeah now yeah making sure that other mothers don't worry and don't make the same mistakes that I do Uh, (laughs) and our final question which is who what we ask all of our guests what do you keep on your bedside table I keep a full drink bottle. <laughs> do you drink water? Water. Yeah. 
I keep a sleep spray Ooh. with some lavender in it. Okay. And I'll be honest, I keep my phone and my laptop there. Yes. And I know that I shouldn't, but I do. Ah. <laughs> uh... I definitely. I think a lot of people keep their phone and their laptop there. I would feel guilty about that, Des. Okay, great. You're making me feel heaps better. And usually there'll be like a leftover bowl of like fruit or popcorn or chocolate. Yeah, <laughs> love it. Is that the answer you wanted? Or whatever the honest answer is. I've had some pearlers <laughs> over these episodes, so yeah. Um, my bedside table. Uh, so I've moved three times in the last, um, like, 12 months. Oh, and God. Okay. Every time I move, I have, like, this these two huge boxes of junk that is basically just emptying out, my, you know, my bedside table. Yeah. Or just anything I've collected. And so this time around we've moved and my partner has put next to my bed a very, very small, I would say it's like a side table that you put next to a couch to just put one drink on. <laughs> I don't keep collecting junk. <laughs> <laughs> What's some of the junk, though, that you've collected? I'm interested in the junk. It obviously means something to you, though. Or you just haven't got around to culling. It's like unopened mail, like. (laughs) Okay, so it is junk. Come on. Come on, Sarah. Pure junk. Like hair ties, anything Mm. you can think of. Books I've, like, wanted to read, haven't. It's it's everything. Everyone needs a hair tie, though. It is just like, Mm. it is like the socks. They just go missing hair ties. I buy packets yeah. and packets of hair ties and I'm just like, where yeah. have they all gone? Yeah. I only have one left. Yes. And then I like search in all my pockets. I'm like, oh, there you are. Yeah. <laughs> well, girls, it has been a very, very informative chat. I'm so glad I got you on the podcast. I've learned so much. I actually was very keen to understand about that oxytocin hit, whether I actually got, I I thought I did. I was like, surely they're going to give me something. Mm. I don't know. They jabbed me with a lot of stuff. That's what all women say. Yes. (laughs) Some of the time I'm like, what was that? I do not like that. Don't do that one again. They're like, oh, that's the morphine. And I was like, no, no more morphine, please. (laughs) Yeah. Thank you so much for having us. My pleasure, my pleasure. Now, if um, people would, like to sign up to one or more of your classes where would we find you so if you head to our um website just www.myownbirth.com that'll tell us yeah all about the classes the you can yeah make a booking we only take bookings about correct me if i'm wrong test probably about six weeks in advance purely based on our hospital roster but Mm. you can yeah join a wait list you tell us when you're due and then we'll we'll get in touch with you and tell you when it's time to start booking your classes and what's available so you don't miss out. That's amazing. And they're all one-on-one, so yeah. you can talk about your deepest and darkest secrets. I think sometimes yeah. we need to air those before we go into the, the birthing Absolutely. process. As you say, yeah. we're bringing oh, a, yeah. a lot of baggage in sometimes. So exactly. that's yeah. really important. I love this concept. I love the one-on-one I think it's so well worth the investment for every woman to make. As I said, forget the wall decals. There are better things to be spending in cash on. So thank you, girls. Thank you so much for joining me. And we will catch you next time. Thank Thank you so much. Bye. Bye.
If you loved this episode, please hit the subscribe button and leave a review. If you know someone out there who would also love to listen to this episode, please hit the share button so they can benefit from it as well. Thank you for listening to The Science of Motherhood. We'll see you next time. Bye. Thank you for listening to The Science of Motherhood. If you would like to contact us, we are at ifillyourcup.com or you can DM us at ifillyourcup underscore via Instagram. You can find all of our services including our postpartum in-home care and our fill your freezer meal delivery service as well through both those channels. Thanks so much for listening.